the podcast with everything paranormal. It's the 222 Paranormal Podcast. Starting your host, Joe Shortridge, and his sidekick. Smooth. Bird. Apparently my new nickname is Bird. <laughs> Bird. Yeah. If you guys don't know, my um, nickname growing up was Ferd. Yeah. F-E-R-D. But my nephew just texted me and he put Bird instead of Ferd. <laughs> He's I wanna, crazy. I want to do a shout out. Yeah. To Rachel Rutt. Hello, Rachel. Thank How you. How are you doing? Favorite listeners. She's awesome. Yeah, but we always, always appreciate everybody who likes and comments on our um, page. And don't forget, before we get started here, to make sure you like and share and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts from because it really makes a difference. Yes. So. Hey, if you're into the YouTube thing, go to our YouTube channel. We have some videos up. If you're listening to their podcast, give it a thumbs up. And if you like what you hear, share it with your friends. Tell them, yo, dog, you got to listen to this new podcast. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> and spooky. Yes. All at the same time. <laughs> yes. Very spooky. Spooky. Yeah. We know that you're listening and you haven't hit that subscribe button yet. Hit that subscribe. If do you it, don't, just do it. aliens are going to probe your butt. do it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> Jennifer says that, and then I'm more angelic, and I really want you to have some love and share the show because we care about you, and we mm, care about your listeners. listening pleasure. Even if... Aliens prop your butt. <laughs> Even if you're in the bar listening to us. Listen, that's the best place. Spirits and spirits. Yeah. Right? All right, I'm done playing. Okay. Right. We're done with that. <laughs> We're in a goofy Stop. mood today. We are. It's about 2,000 degrees in the studio because I can't get the fan going <sighs> because then you'd hear it in the microphones. Yes. We're sweating. <laughs> sweating. I got to figure out bear how. Bear in a bear suit. Yeah. <laughs> Like, <gasps> did you hear that story about the bear? What? Okay, in Florida? Was he bearing it all? I don't know. I don't know if it was in Florida. It was somewhere. And there was a bear got into somebody's car because he saw a candy wrapper and an po empty pop can. So he got in the car and couldn't get back out. And he died from heat exhaustion. He was in the car for like 10 hours. Oh, my God. Poor bear. A bear barbecue. A bear. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he did out of all the paranormal stuff <laughs> that i believe in mm -hmm. aliens is the biggest one that i think really do exist because there are billions and billions Beyond. of stars out there trillions right, that i think have life on them because i'm sure they're like I've said this before in the show that in 1984 we found our first exoplanet and they were like thought this was a big deal that they found an exoplanet and it was in the habitable zone, not too hot, not too cold, that type of thing. But since then they've realized that almost every single star out there, even the binary systems, have planets around them. Wow. And there's so many planets that could harbor life. So, you know, you've heard about the Drake equation and everything of, you know, and um, the Fermi paradox where he was at dinner one night and he's like, where are they? And everybody's like, who? 
He says, the aliens, where are the aliens? At our current technology, as old as the universe is, there should be aliens here. Yeah. Oh, my axes. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe, I do believe that there are aliens, whether they've been here in the past, which I believe they have, because why not? Like I said, the... If dinosaurs existed, if ghosts exist, mm -hmm. Bigfoots exist, why wouldn't life on other planets exist? I mean, there's there's billions and billions of solar systems. It's not like, you know, there's one or two other yeah. solar systems. Billions. I mean, billions. Yeah. You can't even think of it. It's No, so it's such a huge number. That you can't even fathom. I mean, just in our Milky Way, mm -hmm. the number of stars out there. And like I said, they believe that almost every single star has a planet or many planets around them. And they are in the habitable zone. There's probably a skinny version of me on some other planet. Yeah. I want my body back. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm going to, after the show, I'm going to turn on DDPY yoga and we're going to do energy. I'm going to drink water. Yeah. Um. So I can be skinny like you. There you go. Now, do you remember when we were at the MUFON show in Pittsburgh? It was the Pittsburgh, but it was in Erie, but it was still called the Pittsburgh. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. um, we had Fred on and I really, he really made me think about the grays because he said that he believes that the grays are biological probes, which makes sense because you're not going to send your whole civilization or you're, you're going to send people or your, you know, Test subjects. you're not going to send them across the universe. You're going to send a probe, which we're doing now. You know, we've got probes heading out. Um, um, Do you think they're secretly sent humans out that far? They may have. I mean, it's possible. And just not, but you got us. Voyager one and two that are, so they're literally, here we go again, billions of yeah. miles away. Mm -hmm. And they're still picking up radio signals and stuff like that Crazy. that they can't explain. So why wouldn't an alien civilization send a probe instead of their humanoid beings this far? Because yeah. think about it. If you send a human out that far, you have to feed them. You have to get rid of waste. They have to breathe. They have to do all that. You send a probe out, it's just mechanical. You don't have to feed it. You don't have to, you know, mm -hmm. clear waste. You don't have to provide air. If radiation hits it, it's not going to hurt it, you know. Maybe that's what those little TikToks are. That's you possible, know, the too. TikToks or whatever they uh -huh. call little probe ships. I'm, who knows? Look how fast they go. Yeah. They could probably cross the universe in, you know, an hour. <laughs> it would be like three years for us or something. We don't know. So anyways, talking about UFOs, um, on this date, back in 1947, a UFO was flying through space heading towards Earth. And it crashed outside of Roswell, New Mexico. And that was on July 7th, 1947. Mm -hmm. There was a farmer who woke up, and his name was William Brazel. And he worked on the J.B. Forrester Ranch in Lincoln County, New Mexico, which was 75 miles from Roswell. So when you say the Roswell crash, it really didn't happen in Roswell. But that's the closest town. Yeah. yeah. It's and very desolate out there. They found a crashed 
vehicle of some sort. Now, mm-hmm. some people say weather balloon. Some people say no. But I believe this was an alien crash because of all the evidence that they had. Mm-hmm. Now, short story long, a few years ago, we ran into Stanton Friedman. And it was such an honor to sit all day at the Michigan Paracon and talk to him because he is a legend in the field of of UFOs. And on his honor, in his honor, we want to play the interview that we did with him. And um, back in, wow, I don't remember what year it was. I don't know. 2018 maybe? A few years ago, Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in his honor, we want to play the interview that we did with him at Michigan Paracon. And I was kind of starstruck because here this legend in ufology Uf- Uf- mm-hmm. is sitting there right next to us. And we're talking to him. And yeah. I thought he was kind of, I, I saw him sitting there and he had the scrawl, like grumpy look on his face. Mm-hmm. And I thought he'd be real standoffish. But when I went over and talked to him. I said, hey, would you like to be on the show? And he's like, when? I'm like, right now. He's like, okay. I'm like, <laughs> okay, all right. And I Joe scamp- was like scampered totally back over like to the table. fangirling <laughs> out for 100%. I know. And, you know, he, he was so lovely and so kind. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like, I think he understood that, you know, us being an kind of a newbie podcast and you know we weren't asking him very technical questions because you know we're not that smart and he's an astrophysicist scientist (laughs) uh ufologist right like he's like i just sat back and i mean i listened to the interview a couple of times and i just sat back and basically listened to him i I was like "Uh uh-huh yeah uh uh-huh 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 you know I like I like cheese. We were were starstruck for sure. But no, I mean, like people don't understand the historical significance of what he has done in the world of UFOlogy and trying to get the government to admit Mm -hmm. that they had evidence and that they were sequestering evidence as well. Um, You know, he left his high up position to pursue this Mm -hmm. now you know it that that says a lot about your passion because you're giving up your career you're giving up your uh, reputation Mm -hmm. your friends and colleagues you know to pursue something that's unknown you know um at the time very very fringy oh yeah like oh yeah you know that i mean this was uncalled for right after yeah. Or, I well, mean, I don't even like know. like the 70s, the early 70s yeah. is when he did that. But, I mean, it this was back when they weren't even called flying saucers. A guy, a reporter actually came up with that because someone mentioned that, and I think he mentions it in the interview, but someone mentioned that they saw these ships flying through the air and they looked like upside down plates or something. But mm-hmm. they weren't, they were more like boomerangs. But the way the the reporter picked it up, he called them flying saucers, and that's where that term came from. Wow. But I'm going to play this interview with Stanton Freeman. It's 46 minutes long, but it is well worth listening to. This is unbelievable. And I know we normally don't replay one of our shows, but I think this this is uh, appropriate because the the one his birthday is coming up. Yes. His birthday's in July, and the crash was July 7th. 
and his birthday, I think it was July 24th or 27th, something like that. But, you know, this is amazing. You guys just buckle up buttercups because yeah. it's, it's amazing. And I hope you enjoy the interview and we'll be back in 46 minutes. <laughs> And I am very, very honored to have Stanton Freeman with us. It's my pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much oh. for coming and speaking with us. <laughs> we are All the way from Fredericton, New Brunswick. Good yes. to talk to you guys. Oh, That's yes, right. <laughs> we're from Ohio, but we're here in Sault Ste. Marie at Michigan Paracon. And we were admiring you from afar. We saw you across the way, and we said we have to talk to Stanton, yes. Mr. Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just exciting to have you here, and you are almost sold out of your books at this point. Yeah, just about. Tell us about your book. Well, I've got six books. Oh. And I only nice. had four of them here because I'm just sold out of those others, and I'm getting more. Uh, I'm a latecomer to book writing until <laughs> I was more than 60 years old that I write my first book. Wow, oh, amazing. Uh, I'd written papers and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but... Uh, and. Uh, they're, they're different kind of books. One is, uh, I'm the original civilian investigator, the Roswell incident. Mm, right. So one book is called Crash at Corona. Corona is actually the small town in New Mexico where the Roswell crash okay. happened. Mm -hmm. uh, they loved me in Corona. They had a sign up at the 50th anniversary. I was driving by on my way to Roswell from Albuquerque. And it said, forget about Roswell. It all happened here. This is in the <laughs> Corona. <laughs> So the, but that my book is Crash at Corona that okay. pleases them. Uh, uh, another book with Kathleen Marden, who is Betty Hill's niece, okay. is captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Ooh. case wow. experience. And so it updates. There was a book in 1966, The Interrupted Journey, which mm -hmm. got a lot of attention. It was a bestseller and so forth. Uh, but there's a lot that happened after that. And that's the most famous abduction case. And the original book didn't have anything about the star map work that tells us where those aliens come from, okay. stuff like that. So uh, I'm very pleased about that. I was the first to publish about the star map. Betty under hypnosis, reliving her experience with the aliens who took her and Barney on board, is describing how she's trying to get the leader. She asked the leader, where are you from? And he shows her, a, I'll call it a three-dimensional model, points of light connected by lines that are trade routes, occasional expeditions. Wow. And the only trouble is you have no idea where this is. There are no names on the stars, you know. Okay. Right. And so under hypnosis, Betty's telling this story. And uh, Dr. Benjamin Simon, who did the hypnosis, uh, can you remember what the map looks like? And she said yes. So he gives her a post-hypnotic suggestion later on when you're home, if you can remember it accurately, please draw what you saw. Okay. Because he asked her if she could remember it accurately, and she said, yeah, she has a good three-dimensional sense she had. Okay. So, okay. so she did, and there's about 16 stars, points of light connected with lines, but the trouble is, what does it mean? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of stars out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But a brilliant woman, Marjorie Fish was her name, she was a school teacher, but a member of Mensa, very bright lady, she decided she'd find out by seeing if she could build a three-dimensional model, uh, beads on fish line. Oh, cool. But you need to know the position of all the stars, yeah. you see. So, and they, 
at Ohio State University, the astronomy department wouldn't let her withdraw the books from the library to copy down all the, the, the coordinates of where the stars are. So she had to copy them at the library by hand. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but she did it, and she built more than 20 models altogether. And she kept eliminating stars that the astronomers say won't have planets or stuff like that. Okay. Lo and behold, she comes up with one and only one pattern that matched angle for angle, line length for line length, what Betty drew. I I was the first to publish about that work because she had asked the head of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, was there a scientist she could talk to because she's a school teacher, not a scientist, etc. And they gave her my name, so I contacted her, visited her, helped explain her work at a MUFON conference and so forth. So... really intriguing because it gives you a, a different perspective. The base stars, the, the names don't mean anything to anybody. Zeta 1 and Zeta 2 reticuli. It's the constellation of reticulum, which means the net in Latin, I'm told. Oh, okay. And it's a southern sky constellation. So I can't go out after my lecture and point, hey, yeah. that's where it is, folks. <laughs> no way. <laughs> but those two stars happen to be the closest to each other pair of sun-like stars in our entire local neighborhood. Oh, okay. They're about an eighth of a light year apart from each other. The nearest star to the sun is over four light years away. So that's 30 times closer than the sun is to the next star over. We're on the boondocks. Yeah. These guys got next door neighbors. Yeah. (laughs) So it, it makes sense that the closer you have a neighbor, the more, the sooner you're going to try to figure out how to get there or worry about them getting to you mm-hmm. either way. And you can learn a lot about a star that, that's that close, much more than you can about one that's very far away. Yeah. And, you know, does it have resources? What kind, what's the makeup? What, what can you find out about the planets and so forth and so on? So anyway, the sec- uh, another book was Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience by myself and Kathleen Marden who happens to be Betty's niece. Okay. And she knew about the story the day after it happened because Betty called Kathy's mother, Betty's sister. Okay. And so that's a long time ago. Yeah. And she's been following the story ever since. Another book uh, that is entirely different, Top Secret Magic, M-A-J-I-C. This is the story of Operation Majestic 12. Oh. Some people say mythical, I say real. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, we got some strange documents in the mid-80s, uh, which purported to be a briefing uh, for President Truman uh, from James Forrestal about UFOs, mentioning Roswell. And that uh, Truman... It's to a, the next president. Actually, it's a briefing for Eisenhower. Okay. That Truman established this group called Operation Majestic 12 because of Roswell. Oh. Okay. Twelve guys, an outstanding cast of characters: six military, six civilian, two army, two navy, two air force. You know. Uh-huh. Uh And they were very bright guys. You could look up their backgrounds, but there was one guy on there that didn't make any sense. Dr. Donald Howard Menzel, Harvard University professor of astronomy, who was a total debunker. 
Oh, okay. wrote three debunking books. Yeah. Now, how could he be part of a group that knew about crash saucers, alien bodies, etc.? That that was a real puzzle. So I started digging into this and got lucky. One of the twelve was uh, Dr. Vannevar Bush, who was basically Truman's science advisor and was involved in the, the Manhattan Project. Get that going. He was a very important scientist. And in Bush's papers, I found a memo from somebody thanking him for providing testimony that helped get Donald Menzel off the hook at some hearings that were held. They were trying to take away his security clearance. Huh. Why would he have? He's a professor of astronomy. You don't yeah. need a security clearance to teach astronomy. <laughs> Not where I come from, anyway. <laughs> So I followed up on that, and it took permission from three different people for me to see Menzel's papers. He was dead. Okay. And I didn't like him while he was alive. <laughs> I had one run-in with him, and I was disgusted. What a debunker. So I got permission from three different people to look at his papers at Harvard, and I got lucky. Where do you start? You know, there's a lot of paper. And there was a file JFK, John F. Kennedy, and okay. Donald Menzel. What the heck is that all about? You know, what, what's the connection between President Kennedy and a professor of astronomy at Harvard? Yeah. Well, when I looked at that file, there was a letter from Menzel to Kennedy. It turns out they knew each other very well. Kennedy had been on the board of overseers at Harvard, and his area of interest was astronomy, and so he worked with Menzel. And there's a letter from Menzel to Kennedy after Kennedy was elected president. Uh, saying, um, there's one area where I may be of assistance to you, and that's with regard to the National Security Agency, oh. NSA. That means never says anything. Yeah. <laughs> the inside story. Uh-huh. Uh, I've had a longer continuous association with them, 30 years, of anybody. When we are properly cleared to each other, I can tell you more. <laughs> that was a shock. Yeah. And I did some more follow-up, and nobody knew about Menzel's connection with He was a debunker. Yeah. You know, that was his position. So that opened things up about MJ-12, because he was the one who didn't pass muster, as far as I could tell. I would, couldn't possibly go public and have somebody say, ha, 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 we got you, buddy. <laughs> that was baloney yeah. know, about Menzel. So... It's a very controversial group, and some people say, well, it's obviously a fraud. And Mr. Philip J. Class is one of the nastiest, noisiest negativists. He was a debunker, senior avionics editor for Aviation Week and Space Technology. And all sightings can be explained, he said. Mm -hmm. So to illustrate, he claimed that the MJ-12 papers were phony, Majestic Program, because this paper, a memo, uh, was done in the large typeface, uh, pica type instead of elite type. Yeah. yeah. And the National Security Council was an NSC document, supposedly. Uh, they did all their documents in elite type, he said. Mm-hmm. And I challenge you, he writes me, to find any other genuine documents done in the same size and style type. Mm-hmm. as this memo you say is genuine. And I'll pay you $100 each <laughs> up to a maximum of 10 Yeah. You have yeah. 60 days. Uh-huh. 
Well, first thing I did was go to my files and I found 20 uh, PICA type documents wow. in the NSC <laughs> materials, but they didn't, he had a bunch of criteria. It's got to be in the right time frame signed by blah, 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 blah. But I was going to the Eisenhower Library anyway, so I sent him two, which he found acceptable, thinking he had me, you know, yeah. he had off easy. And I found 14 that met all his criteria. It's made copies, sent him an invoice for $1,000. Yeah. 10 was his limit. Uh-huh. And uh, he paid me. He did. But he got very angry when I showed a copy of his check in one of my books. <laughs> yeah. And I'll guarantee you, I laugh at every one of my lectures when I show a copy of his yeah. check. And he wrote me a very angry letter. He threatened to sue me. Uh, and so I wrote Phil and said, look, Phil, you dropped a challenge on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you paid off as you, it was a noisy challenge. You sent yeah. copies of his letter to lots of people, you <laughs> see, thinking that he had me. Yeah. Uh, I took your check to the bank. First I Xeroxed it. I took it to the bank. They cashed it. I can do whatever I damn please with the yeah. Xerox. Too yeah. bad. <laughs> so then he shut up. But uh, it, it's typical of the intellectual bankruptcy of the pseudoscience of anti-ufology. Yes. It turns out, I didn't know it at the time, that he had never been to the Eisenhower Library. Oh. They have 250,000 pages of National Security Agency documents. He had nine done in, this, in uh, the elite type. Yeah. To generalize from nine to 250,000 seems a bit of a stretch, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. You know, uh, especially we're talking typewriters, not computers, mm-hmm. so exactly. you can't just rattle off a lot of copies. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I had fun with that in Top Secret Magic. Uh, a third book, uh, Kathleen Martin and I, we had done... Uh, captured together the Betty and Barney Hill story. Okay. Uh, we also did a book. I got so sick of people making false claims about things. We did a book, Science Was Wrong. Uh, 14 chapters. We each did seven. Each one stimulated by a very smart person saying something very stupid. And the original title was supposed to be It's Impossible, Isn't It? <laughs> With a loud no after that. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and it, it, in, in a sense, it was fun to do it because these were prominent scientists who said stupid things. A, a great astronomer in 1903 said, if there was one thing he was certain of, mem- nobody would ever fly any distance in a vehicle, maybe with a balloon. That was two months before the Wright brothers first flight. Wow. Oh, wow. He didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. He was a brilliant astronomer. He didn't know anything about flight. Uh, another great astronomer in 1956, in an interview with Time magazine, he was the British Astronomer Royal. That's very high class. He said that uh, uh, space travel is utter bilge. Nobody would pay for it. What good would it do? What we need is better tools for astronomy. And that was 1956, Sputnik went up in 57, and mm-hmm. the greatest benefactor of the space program has been astronomy. Yeah. All those satellites that are up there above the atmosphere so you can see things and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. So 
it is important to recognize that oftentimes there are very bright people saying very stupid things because they think if, if this were true, they would know about it. Yeah. And they don't, so it must not be. But they haven't done their homework. They haven't gone to the archives. They haven't done their... I mean, there were people who said that the notion that you could stop smallpox with the, an injection is nonsense. Mm -hmm. So they recommended against people having their kids yeah. inoculated. Yeah. How many people died That's what I was going to say. There, there was Dr. Semmelweis, 1840. He delivered babies. That was his, his job. And he discovered that at the lying-in hospital in Vienna, a big one, lots of women given birth, they'd come into the hospital, and some of the women were taken care of by midwives. Only 5% of them came down with childbed fever, which was invariably fatal. Oh. to the baby, the fetus, and, and the mother. But when the doctors took care of the babies, of, of the mothers, 20% did. Oh. This is crazy. Yeah. You know? So Dr. Semmelweis, he had a friend who got sick because of a needle stick. This is yeah. before uh, Pester and all that sort of stuff. So he did a lot of a lot of research, published papers, and discovered that the problem was that the medical people were doing autopsies upstairs and then coming down and examining pregnant women without washing their hands. Oh, yeah. And so he did a lot of experiments and, and then set up a protocol where doctors had to wash their hands and use a nail brush and mm -hmm. stuff like that. He got fired for his troubles. That's not how we do things. He reduced the percentage from 20 yeah. to 5, but yeah. that's not how we do things, so it's wrong. You're not going to do that. So how many women and children died mm -hmm. because of this stupidity? Yeah, and that's... Uh, and so it was, that book was not fun, but there was pleasure in writing it because... We need to understand that when bright people talk outside their sphere of knowledge, they may be wrong. Yeah. What they're not, when they're saying it can't be, what they mean is, I don't know it to be true, so it must not be because I'm so smart I would know it if right. it were true. You know. It's an ego gets in the way almost. Uh, very much so <laughs> in, in the way. So uh, another book, let's see. We got Science of Soil, we got Top Secret Magic, we got Crash at Corona. Oh, the latest one is Fact, yep. Fiction, and Flying Saucers. Ooh, Kathleen Martin and I did that one, too. Mm -hmm. And the idea there was, it's hard to imagine why with some of these very bright people, Menzel was one, Dr. Edward U. Condon was a world-class scientist, headed the Condon study of UFOs at the University of Colorado, and came up totally negative and said something as stupid as, we have no expectation there will be any visitors to Earth from outer space for 10,000 years. Oh. How can you say that? Why? Yeah, why would they say years? something like that? And so that's what our question was when we wrote the book. We did a lot of looking at their papers and archives and stuff. We like going to archives. Yeah. You know, get the facts in hand before yes. putting mouth in gear. Yes. And so we came up with a book which tries to explain, well, Phil Class was one guy I mentioned before, uh, he wasn't stupid, 
So why did he say these yeah. stupid things, you know? And we knew that Menzel was working for a three-letter agency, as this phrase goes, the <laughs> National Security Agency. We still haven't figured out who Condon was working for or whether they had, he had a sort of checkered past and they may have had something to hold over his head. Okay. And class, we don't know. It has been, there's a whole book out, The Fortec Conspiracy, supposedly science fiction. It's all about Philip Class in disguise kind of thing. The, the names, several of the people you're easily recognized if you know the field. Mm -hmm. And one suggestion is, Phil was never married until he was 65 or so. And that somebody said he was a homosexual and it, in Washington during this time frame. That, okay. That was the kiss of death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so maybe somebody knew that and you keep your mouth shut, buddy, or you're in real trouble. Yeah. You know, I, we don't know. Mm -hmm. But there are times when you wonder about people who aren't stupid saying very stupid things. Yeah, it's almost like, like I was saying it earlier, it's like, sense. why would you do that? You're, you're setting the research back by 100 years. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it is, it, and it's true not only in ufology, and that's why the book Science is wrong, uh, so uh, I, I've become the Grandma Moses of the UFO book trade. She got her late start as a painter, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I, got, I didn't write my first book until after I was 60. So I'm still going strong. Yeah. 83, the last oh, birthday. birthday. Oh, awesome. Tell us about your process of writing. Like, do you have like a certain like time you like to write? Do you no. write every day or no? It just as no, it I'm hits not you? one of those disciplined writers. <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. I just uh, whatever mood hits me. I, I was surprised. I'm a lousy typist, but thank God for computers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they make up for a lot of sins. Yes. <laughs> Catch a lot of mistakes. Yeah, you know. Yes. Uh, actually. I've always been a researcher. I like to go to archives, libraries, get the facts. Yeah. And so even when I was in industry, I was writing technical papers, radiation shielding for uh, nuclear airplanes. I worked on I worked on nuclear rocket engines, stuff like that. So there is a challenge to put together a beginning, a middle, and an end, and to be able to document. It's not fiction. Yeah. You can't just say something. you got to keep the timelines right. And yeah, yeah things hard. have to check out. Mm -hmm. And you know darn well that there are some nasty, noisy negativists out there who are going to check. On That's what I was just going to say. There's yes. always that one pr or so bunch of people. But I figure you got to anticipate them and mm -hmm. be ready, you know. And so uh, I, I enjoy the, the writing. I've never written any fiction. Okay. Knowingly, anyway. I say that because some people enjoy writing fiction more than they do nonfiction. The rules are a little different. You know? Yeah. Things have to sound good, not yeah. be true. Yeah, and your, your facts that line up. and. Yeah, and so I, I, I've been to 20 archives, and if somebody would have paid me, I'd spend a lot more time in archives. Sure. You know? <laughs> uh, because you got to go back to the original work. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been to presidential libraries, places like that, the National Con uh, Library of Congress, National Archives, and 
Do you have to have special access to do that? Or is this open to anybody? Well, like if Joe and I wanted to go there, do you think we You get have in? to get advance approval oh, I see. at many of the places. Okay. Um, at the national ones, they have to be prepared for you so they know what it is you want to look at. Mm. And you have to look You have to look through their listing of what they have and okay. tell them what you want and stuff. Okay. At the presidential, uh, at, at some of the archives, you have to get... Uh, permission, like Menzel's papers, three different people in the astronomy department have to, in writing, say it was okay for me to look at those papers. Wow. Oh wow! Which was kind of a pain <laughs> in the neck, but uh, I got the approval. But, yeah. Uh, so there's a challenge there to get at the truth. I, I used to like reading a lot of detective stories, mm. and some of this is like detective stories, sure, trying yeah. to find oh, yeah. out the clues, you it's know. A <laughs> Where can I get more information? And, yes. and finding people uh, who have the inside story, and get them to talk. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I found, uh, it was kind of a surprise, but I found I enjoyed doing that because of the detective story aspect, you know, getting at the truth. So flying saucers, are a lot of different, it's not just UFO sightings major concerns in which I am fortunate are the cover-up. How can you cover things up? Well, I had a clearance for 14 years. So I know about security. Yeah. I wrote classified documents. I had to attend classified meetings. I uh, understand how the system works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing was that uh, I worked on far-out propulsion systems. And one of the biggest objections to UFOs is you can't get here from there. Well, not on a bicycle, but no. you know. Right, right. <laughs> but I've worked on fission nuclear rockets. Uh, did a study of fusion nuclear rockets, nuclear power plants for space, and stuff like that. So I can. I'm aware of a lot of the stuff that's relevant to the question of can aliens get here or not? Mm -hmm. You know, and they can. Yeah. And the thing is, you. I well, I. I got very lucky. I did a study for the Foreign Technology Division of the Air Force at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base with the exotic title of Analysis and Evaluation of Fast and Intermediate Reactors for Space Vehicle <laughs> Applications. It's the longest title I ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they always the, have the, the longest. The key word was left out, Soviet. Oh. I was looking at Soviet technology. Wow. I knew what we were doing about nuclear reactors in space, which is a way to get a lot of power. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, solar power is nice, but when you get out close to Pluto, for example, the sun intensity is very, yeah. very low. Sure. You, know? sure. you just keep slowing down. And so <laughs> I, I looked at, you can't believe how much Soviet technical literature I looked at, uh, and wrote a two-part report. One part was just a literature search in 20 different areas of technology related to small reactors in space. And then the other was my analysis of what that meant. And I don't even have a copy of that one. That's how classified it was. Wow. Uh, and I concluded that the Russians were doing all the right things in technology to be able to build nuclear reactors in space. I must have been the only guy in the country who was happy when he heard about Cosmos 954, a Soviet satellite that had a nuclear reactor on board oh. that came down in northern Canada. 
it's supposed to be put into a higher orbit and the rocket didn't work, so the reactor eventually came down and irradiated a few caribou. Oh, oh no. Well, oh. there was nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. That's all the press was, gee, radiation, oh my God. Oh, yeah. You know. They run with it. Uh, and so I found out in my study that the Russians had built like 33 reactors that they had launched and operated in space, the United States won. Oh. I was shocked. Yeah, wow, yeah. I was shocked. But uh, I happened to be the right guy to do the study because I knew what we had done, and you know, I got a real kick out of it. And you know, when you do something where you, I can't go to the Russians. Hey, am I right, guys? <laughs> but it was nice when Cosmos 954 came down to be able to verify. Yeah. That uh, I was on the right trail. So that was an interesting challenge. How to integrate. Uh, library stuff with the real world, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so flying saucers have been a, a challenge in a different kind of way. Motivation. Why would anybody go into space? Why would aliens come here? Yeah. Curiosity. <laughs> what? Curiosity. <laughs> I mean, right? Well, curiosity is one of it. I mean, yeah. they may be grad students doing their thesis work on That's the development true. of a primitive society. Or the delicacy of cow tongue yeah. or <laughs> yeah, anything, anything yeah. is possible yeah well you see what we tend to forget we don't like the word nuclear mm-hmm. but a couple of interesting things have happened in within my lifetime one is we finally realized well a little bit before i was born we discovered the neutron in 1932 it's been around for billions of years. Yeah. We didn't know about it, you know. Uh, secondly, in 1938, we discovered fission and fusion. And it turns out all the stars produce their energy by nuclear fusion. Yeah. Now, you say, so what? Well, you can build bombs. No, that's not the important so what. Uh, I mean, we figured it out. First fission bomb was built in 1945, first fusion bomb in 1952. But there's something to take note of. The amount of energy involved. A big bomb in World War II, say 1944, was a 10-ton blockbuster. Big bomb released the energy of 10 tons of dynamite. Yeah. Took a big B-29 to carry it. Wow. <laughs> in 40. Five, we had the first atomic bomb, fission bomb, released the energy of 15,000 tons of dynamite. The first fusion device, 1952, released the energy of 10 million tons of dynamite. This is one stinking bomb. One bomb. And the Russians built the big one, Tsar Bomba. <laughs> what, what can I say? I like that name. That was their name. Released the energy of 57 million tons of TNT. One stinking bomb. Yeah. I mean, that's beyond my thought of how much that is. Well, but the corollary to this, you can use bombs for destruction, Mm -hmm. or you can use bombs for propulsion. Yes. And so anybody studying the idiots on Earth, I say idiots, in World War II we killed... 50 million of our own kind. Mm-hmm. I consider that sort of an idiotic yeah. thing for a civilization. Yeah. We destroyed 1,700 cities, equally idiotic. 
And after the war, we exploded 2,000 nuclear warheads. Mm -hmm. Only 200 people, thank God. Yeah. You know. But what I'm saying is everybody, A, will be curious about how their star produces its energy. We thought it was just a massive burning gas in the 20s. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Enormously greater amounts of energy. If you have control of that energy, you can travel to your neighbor. Yes. And that would scare anybody. Would they mm -hmm. want us out there with our <laughs> track record? I don't think no, so. No, that's what I was, um, some people were asking me about, like, the ancient alien stuff. They're like, well, why would they come, come back then and not come now? I'm like, look at the Earth. <laughs> look at how we are treating each Who other. Who says they're not coming now? Yeah, well, yeah, but it's like we treat our own kind this way how would we treat them the neighborhood would not welcome us no. i don't think and you know there are a lot of ufo observations near nuclear weapons yes and so i think any advanced civilization will link the destruction you can get from nuclear weapons with the propulsion system mm -hmm. and you don't want the idiots who are setting off weapons to come bother you yeah right and they can because fission and fusion. I mean, look, in 19, when did we test the rocket? Uh, 1969, we tested a nuclear propulsion system on the ground. Okay. Three different groups did. I was at Westinghouse Astro Nuclear, uh, Aerojet General, Sacramento, and Los Alamos in, in uh, New Mexico. Our power level of our reactor, which was less than eight feet in diameter, was at 1,100 megawatts. Hmm. Boulder Dam produces 2,000 megawatts. Yeah. The Aerojet one was 1,000 megawatts, and the Los Alamos one, which was a tiny bit bigger, less than eight feet in diameter, exhaust temperature over 4,000 degrees, and the power level 4,400 megawatts, twice Boulder Dam. Wow. And something less than 10 feet in diameter. Yeah. So, and then they canceled the program, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did they or did they not? I mean, did they really well, or did they I tell you so. they did? Well, I think because maybe the alien said, stop doing that. I don't know. Uh, you know but what I'm saying is every advanced civilization is going to be concerned about its own star. Where's the energy? What, what's it doing? That? It's not a massive burning gas, folks can't produce all the energy your quick calculations say, hey that won't do it what do you got that's better mm -hmm. well the progression was so quick from a 10-ton chemical bomb first uh, big bomb blockbuster they yeah call it. that's 44 45 first fission vice that's 15,000 tons of TNT and then the first h-bomb uh, I want to say 52 tons, but I don't okay. mean tons. First H-bomb was 10 million tons of dynamite. Okay. That's in a very short period of time. Yeah. So if we did it, starting from scratch, where we certainly started, mm -hmm. uh, once we get a little curious and a little more advanced and have wars so we can have an excuse for doing the research and so forth and so on. So everybody... You're at a known starting point. People will want to know how their star works. And once you figure that out, you say, wow, look what we can do with that. Now, if you're a nice guy, you say you'll travel. If you're not so nice, you say we'll destroy. Yeah, conquer and destroy. 
that's our history, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, that's where we spend our money. Mm -hmm. uh, look, Earth will this year spend a trillion dollars on things military. Look how many kids died of starvation last yeah, year. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a big number. Yeah. Thousands. So if you were an alien, would you want us out there? I don't think no. so. <laughs> so people say, why come here? They're being punished for two, two weeks at Earth. That's punishment that lasts a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Like when they used to send people to Australia from England. Right. Like the, <laughs> we're banished to Australia. Yeah. It was like, no. Yeah, but, it was so the debtors. <laughs> it tells yeah. you something about the Brits. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. So where do you think the future is? Do you think that we'll see we in our generation or in the next hundred years we'll we'll see like um Aliens please. landing on the White House. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. A, you know, like the man that's uh, what everybody the invasion, is. I guess we're gone. Well my, lack of better terms. I I think we're heading in that direction. There's an old saying that new ideas come to be accepted. Not because your opponents come to believe in them, but because their opponents understand them, uh, are willing to check on them, to finally do something about it. It, it isn't enough to hear the idea. Uh, come to accept them. And so I think frequently it's the next generation that begins to operate with those things, the mm -hmm. new ideas. You know, most great scientific advances have been resisted. Oh, yeah. You know, what, what are you talking about? There's nothing that will kill bacteria. You know, uh, mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm an optimist that we'll get to the point where we can face up to the reality of just we're one of many civilizations, and there's a real ego problem here, you see. Mm -hmm. For a long time, we could convince ourselves that, hey, this is the only solar system around. We're the only planet with water and oxygen and so forth. We're the top of the heap, folks. Yeah. We're the leading lights <laughs> of the universe, but it's a small universe. Yeah. Now, if you say that there are stars and planets all over the place, mm -hmm. uh, gee, maybe we're not the big shots we yeah. like to think we are. And every day, they're finding more and more that... Planets all over the place, mm -hmm. yes. I, I'm a great admirer of the Kepler satellite, Yeah, which is looking for planets. You know, it's like, can you imagine spotting a butterfly in front of a car light two miles away? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. But they've done a great job, and uh, I have to give the astronomers credit for that. But, uh, it, well, if you look at a picture of a planet, and how tiny the dot is, I mean, of the star, and how tiny the dot is of a planet going around it. How do they see that? You know, yeah. we can learn stuff from it. Mm -hmm. So I have to admire those guys, the planet hunters, if you will. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's better than the uh, enemy hunters. Yeah. yeah. It blows my mind that by the transient of it, they can tell the dip in the light. And they see the dip in the light, and they can tell you what it's made of, how big it is, how fast it spins, all that. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? it's, it's information to be admired. Yes. I mean, I admire it anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, a real challenge, and they meant the challenge. Yeah. But, you know, what's funny, to me anyway, it's not ha-ha funny, but <laughs> strange. Uh, 
NASA's big on SETI. Yeah. Search for extraterrestrial mm-hmm. intelligence. I say it stands for silly effort to investigate. Yeah. CTI. <laughs> Why? Because it's made on crazy assumption, based on crazy assumption. Aliens are sitting back there sending signals to us, reasons unknown, yeah. uh, using techniques that are compatible with our techniques for radio transmission. How do they know what yeah. AM, FM, what, you know, yeah. utterly ridiculous. But there's nobody coming here. <laughs> that, that's the, the SETI attitude. If you look at the SETI literature, they never talk about the UFO data. It's no. as if there wasn't any. I refer to the SETI information. I read their books. They don't read mine, I'll tell yeah. you that. You know, it, it, it's really weird. It's like uh, if they're coming here, maybe we need to learn sign language mm-hmm. instead of radio. Exactly. So I, I find that very strange. And whether it is politically motivated, the, the line for NASA is there ain't nobody coming here, folks. <laughs> because obviously, if there were, and we have loads, the, the, the strange thing is, we have loads of data indicating aliens are visiting. The physical trace cases, the yeah. multiple witness radar, visual sightings, all, all the rest of that. Photographs, eyewitness testimony from all over the world. And we have no evidence that anybody's sending signals our way. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They, they make a big deal out of the wow signal. But yet, there's people every day saying, I see them. I yeah. see them. They're right there, can't you? you know? And they've walked around in my backyard yeah. kind of thing. You know? So it, it, it's... Somebody ought to do a Ph.D. thesis on mm-hmm. the strange views of the SETI world. <laughs> yeah. Because it is a puzzling question. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, it's not that I say astronomers are stupid. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. They're not. But they certainly haven't been willing to look at the the real evidence in the case of so they extraterrestrial Like tunnel blinders. vision. Tunnel yeah. vision. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Definitely. And like I said, it's a huge honor yes, thank you. to oh meet gosh. you and have you come in and talk we to us. We were talking before we got here. We're like, Stan Freeman's going to be there. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> you I think I was a rock person. I touched person. him, folks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you thank are. you. Yes, you are. My pleasure. And thank you very we'll much. We'll talk to you in a bit. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm still blown away and in a way saddened that he's not with us anymore. I know. Rest in peace. Because... Think about how he would feel right now with all the stuff going on in the like the Tic Tac videos yes. and the Ghost Fast video, and the government is kinda they're slowly revealing what they have. Well, I on. just heard an interview or some document I can't even remember where Donald Trump was saying, "Yes, there is." Mm-hmm. We have proof, but we can't just let it out because people go nuts, yeah. right? They say they will, but I don't know if they really would. I because, don't think they I mean, will. you think about like the religious aspect of it because, you know, Jesus made us, and or not Jesus, but God made us, and that. But if he can do it here, he's not just going to do it once. Right. He'll do it all over the place. Right? Yeah. Like, let me make a couple Joe and Jens on a different planet. Yeah. <laughs> make me skinny, Lord. A oh. Joe that runs every day and. <laughs> has time to do stuff <laughs> right no but you know the the great thing about stanton freeman is he'll always be remembered as connected to the roswell yeah and as just a pioneer in in research mm-hmm. and sparking probably a lot of the ufologists right now oh yeah you know that yeah. are of our age mm-hmm. uh, you know 
he had to have a significant impact I mean, on their life. Like you said in the interview, he was the only civilian on the Roswell site. Yeah. That's that's big. I mean, that's yeah. not, that says something about his character and his knowledge of what was going on at the time. Very, very smart. And Mrs. Laugh, he was very <laughs> kind to us. It was great. Like I said, here we are sitting. And I know Michigan Paracon, celebrity, every everywhere you turn is a celebrity, um, literally running into you at some times. <laughs> I remember... Uh, every time I turned, like Bobo would be standing there. I'm like, "Whoa, Bobo, what's up?" And <laughs> or that time that he's like your shadow. We were in the uh, after the convention. We were all heading back to our rooms, and it was um, Chip Coffee, Chip Coffee, Adam, Amy, Perry. Adam and Amy, um, ah, but a bunch of us. Dustin Perry, yeah, me, you, and then there's somebody, somebody else. Maybe Brian or um. Was it Jason nope. from Ghost Hunters? It might have been. But we were all in the elevator, and there was no room. We were, like, crammed in the elevator. <laughs> and here comes Bobo down the hallway. And we're all yelling, Bobo! Bobo! <laughs> and he's like, oh, there's no room. We pulled like, him in. We're like, there's room. We'll make room. But we were sitting there talking to a legend all day long. And it was just like we were friends. Like, mm-hmm. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. That, Like I said, that's still my, one of my favorite interviews of all time. And the knowledge that he has, and we just sat there and listened. And you know? that was just a fraction. I mean, we didn't go oh. real woo-woo or deep, and we wanted to. Yeah. We just didn't have time. He is the type of person that you could sit, and we did talk all day, but on air, you could sit there, and he would talk for hours. Best kind of interviews ever. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, thank anyways. you for listening. Yes, you I guys hope you enjoyed that interview. Amazing. Thank you, thank you. And I got a chance to listen to it again today. I just turned it on because it the the actual show that we took the interview out of was a lot longer. It was almost an hour and a half long, and so I just cut out the interview part. And I got a chance to listen to it today, and I, I'll know I'll listen to it again. Yep. All right, everybody, keep looking up at the skies. Look for watch those. out for those black helicopters. Yeah. <laughs> see those you might see some aliens yes. running away but anyways the take care dropping off the bigfoots yeah don't get probed this weekend <laughs> <laughs> all right guys have a great week we'll we'll talk to you next week right. love you bye bye bye